Mark 7, 1 to 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his, his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they, they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from, from the marketplace, they, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not wash according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah pro prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the, the commandment of, of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For, for Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles fa father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God. Then for you, no, no longer per permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the void, the word of God by, by your tradition, that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called to, to the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see what, that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled thus he declared all foods clean and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts se sexual immorality theft murder adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride fo foolishness all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. We have been going through the book of Mark and have been learning about the good news, right? The gospel means good news. So the whole book is about the good news. And we've been tra tracing um, different groups of people that this is good news for. Today, uh, next slide. Today, we're going to learn about good news for the unclean heart. And really the passage is kind of a little long, right? 23 verses. Um, the first 13 verses, though, um, can we boil down to this sentence or, or, or idea? Um, it's a rebuke of legalism. And then the second half can be summarized this way. It's a teaching for the unclean heart. And the idea that we're going to be drawing out of this or the idea that we get from this is, is this. The law reveals our unclean hearts and should lead us to Jesus, the one who makes us clean. To start things off, though, I have a, kind of a funny story. So I was um, hanging out on my street with my neighbor, and uh, she asked me this question. She said, do you eat pork? 
I was like, man, why do you got to ask me so direct? Um, I said, ah, yeah, a little bit. After talking with Sydney, we realized, okay, no, we actually eat pork quite a bit, um, like almost every day. Well, she had this comment uh, in return after I had said a little bit. She said, oh, it's gross, it's disgusting. Did you know that if you leave pork outside for five minutes, worms will come out? Now, that's, maybe that's funny, right? In our American culture, we think that that might be funny. But there's a lesson that we can learn from this that we need to keep in mind as we consider this passage, right? In, in her culture, it's pork is unclean, right? It is detestable. And the idea that she communicated to us, to me, whether it's funny or not, communicates her detest or her, her distaste for pork. I mean, it goes beyond just preference, right? Um, it's haram. It's gross. And, and it's more than just preference. Like, so like, let's think of uh, an analogy in our own culture. I kind of struggle with this. Like, if you think of a food that you just hate, you will not eat it, right? Maybe for some people it's olives or mushrooms. For my mom, it's bananas. Ever since she was a kid, she did banana and she'd just throw it up, like a visceral reaction. Okay? Well, that's only still preferences. It doesn't get to the cultural meaning of unclean that my neighbor was communicating and that we're going to get into in, in Mark 7. Um, so it doesn't get to the cultural. It doesn't get to the religious level either, right? All of that is lumped into my neighbor's detest of pork. Well, for the Jews, it was very similar. So, okay, in trying to think of a better analogy, I thought of, um, thought of this. Uh, Mapani worms. Next slide. Mapani worms are worms that um, people in Africa, like Southern Africa, like South Africa, Zimbabwe, this is a delicacy, all right? So it's like they're bacon, maybe. Um, it's good to them, but man, maybe to the average American, that is like disgusting, gross. I would never touch that. Or maybe think of like a tarantula. Like if someone were to come along and just be like, everything we know about tarantulas, it's wrong. You can just pick it up, pluck a leg off, and eat it. Think about that reaction you're having right now. Hold on to that thought, and we will circle back. Um, and you, hopefully it, it actually connects to the passage, right? Okay, so <laughs> um, we've been going through Mark, right, as I said. And um, right now, where Jesus is in his ministry, he's with his disciples, and they're going from village to village. They're um, like maybe 100 miles north Thank you for moving the slide. Um, they're maybe like 100 miles north of Jerusalem, around the Sea of Galilee. They've been touching little different towns. And this is directly after he fed the 5,000, walked across um, the Sea of Galilee. So he's in the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and so who's around him? There's lots of crowds. People are listening to him as he, teach, as he teaches. And um, we'll see in, in Mark 7... Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem come to him with a question. So, verse 1, they come, and they see his disciples eating food with hands that are defiled, that is unwashed. And so they ask him a question. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders and instead eat, with food, uh, eat food with hands that are unclean or defiled? 
So, okay, seems simple enough. Well, this isn't a sincere question, right? We know this. We've been going through Mark. Um, if you're new to Mark, uh, just a couple of, couple of notes that have got us to here. So there's been a couple of confrontations between the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and Jesus. And, and Mark chronicles them. There's been a, an incident where Jesus says to a paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, who can forgive but God alone? And he says, get up and walk so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. And he heals the man. There's been other instances, right? Um, why do your disciples eat with sinners, right? So Jesus and his disciples are hanging out with Levi, tax collectors, and, it, and the teachers of the law, they have their idea of what holiness should look like. Why do your disciples eat with sinners? They're concerned with apparent holiness. And, and Jesus' response to them is, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous. No, uh, not the righteous, but sinners. There's another situation where they're walking in the grain fields and his disciples pick up grain. And the Pharisees are, why are you on the Sabbath picking up grain? You're doing work. And his response is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's more of these. He heals on the Sabbath. That really rubs them wrong. And so Mark, leading up to this point, has contrasted the Pharisees' idea of holiness and God's idea of holiness, God's righteousness. So their, question, their question, right, why do your disciples eat with defiled hands, is not sincere. It's a confrontation. And so then Jesus replies, right? Jesus replies um, pretty, pretty strongly. Now, we need to dive a little bit more into their culture. And Mark does this for us. He explains some things for us. He says, The Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And it goes on, and it says again, And they observe many traditions, such as the washing of cups and piddle, uh, pet pitchers and kettles. So there's these two ideas of ceremonial cleanliness and tradition. Okay, so if we go to the law, let's go to the law. There is an idea of ceremonial cleanliness, right? We know this. If we read Leviticus, specifically like chapters 5 through 17, there's all these teachings on don't touch a dead animal. Don't touch an unclean thing or you'll become unclean. And here's what you need to do to become clean. Uh, if you touch feces or discharges, even childbirth makes you unclean. There's skin diseases and mildew. I mean, it goes on and on and on about ceremonial uncleanliness. That's what's in the law. Okay? So then it provides ways of how to wash, how to become clean. Okay? But Mark goes beyond that and he describes, you now what we're actually talking about here is tradition. Tradition. Okay, so... I had asked this question, right? Why do your disciples not wash their hands? Is there anywhere in Scripture, in the Old Testament maybe, in the law, in Leviticus, which I've read rarely, right, compared to other parts of the Bible, is there a place where it says you need to wash your hands before you eat? My grandma might think so. No, just, just kidding. Um, she's sweet and, and knows, the, knows the gospel. Um, but no, nowhere in Scripture does it say that you have to wash your hands 
before every meal. So what's going on here? Well, the Pharisees and teachers of the law had added rules. They had added rules to God's rules. This, this might seem like a, not a bad idea, right? Like if there's a cliff, I don't want to get anywhere close to that cliff, so I'm going to, man, I'm going to set up all these other rules to make sure I don't get too close to that cliff. That's perhaps how they sold this, right? Um, and they're thinking in their, in their history, right? Our disobedience as the nation of Israel has caused us to go into exile. Man. So to prevent that, maybe we should add some other rules to make sure we don't do that again. Seems, maybe seems wise. I don't know. In theory, it's offense to safeguard the nation of Israel. It gives the appearance of extra holiness, of piety, cleanliness. The only place in Scripture that required people to wash their hands were the priests before they go, went into the tent of meeting, and before they went to the altar in the tabernacle. So, man, if, if all the people of Israel can attain that level of holiness as the priest, man, that's good stuff. In actuality, though, and this is what Jesus calls them out for, those extra rules and that appearance of extra holiness turned into a distortion, maybe even a perversion of God's law. Here's Jesus' response. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. I mean, he, does he answer their question? No, he, he doesn't answer their question. Right? He says, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus doesn't answer their question. He gets to the heart of what's going on here. He rebukes them for it. He rebukes them for two reasons. One, their heart condition. He sees to the heart. He sees what's actually going on. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were just giving God lip service. It was a show. They wanted to look holy. They wanted to look pure, clean. And two, not only that, they were actually using God's law to justify their own sin. He says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to traditions. He says, you actually nullify the word of God by your tradition. And, so, and then Jesus gives this example. Right, here's a concrete example. The fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother. This is one of the ten commandments. Honor your father and mother. And another place in Scripture says, if you curse your father and mother, you're deserving of death. This is a big deal. This is a direct command. And he says, okay, if I'm Joe and my parents are aging, I need to support them, right? This is especially true in their culture. Kids supported their parents. And that requires money and time and, and care, right? But let's say I'm, I'm in, a, in a sermon, right? Or I'm, I'm motivated in some way, and I'm like, I want to devote my resources to the Lord. And so everything that I was going to, help my parents with, you know what, I want to give that to God. Let's say that that happened. And this is the example Jesus gives. If that happens, 
then the Pharisees no longer allowed me, Joe, to help my parents in any way. Let's say I had a turn of heart later. Like, man, that was kind of a foolish uh, promise. Like, I really needed to care for my parents. Or let's say I'm like, I'm going to dig into my own resources in my own time, and I'm going to help my parents. The Pharisees were like, nope, can't help your parents. That's cursing them. That's as big a deal as death, according to Scripture, right? And so they nullified God's word by their own tradition. There, there basically is the contrast between an oath. I made an oath. I want to devote this to God. And God's direct command, honor your father and mother. One of those is probably more important than the other. And we should keep our oaths but not if it causes us to go against what God says, right? So Jesus calls them out for that. They were using legal judo to get around the commands of God. And he says, you do many things like this. He could give many more examples. So what's the lesson for us, right? This is like, it seems kind of far removed. This line of thinking can actually creep into churches uh, and into our own hearts. In the early church, in Colossians, this uh, similar thing actually happened, right? And, and in Colossae, in, in this uh, book, it says this, in Colossians 2, 20 uh, through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why do you still belong... Uh, I'm sorry. Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Kind of a long section. But what... Colossians is saying here is that this idea that the Pharisees had set up these extra, extra rules to appear extra holy, Colossians calls it out in the church. They're merely human commands and teachings, and they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence, right? To boil it down, rules can't change our hearts. Rules do not have the power to change our hearts. The Pharisees had missed that point, right? They looked in the past maybe and they're like, man, we really messed up. We need to add rules. No, that's not the point. And we'll get into that in the next section. The point is, go to God. Go to Jesus. Okay, so if we, let's think about this, translating it to maybe modern day. We can think of examples of when people used the Bible to justify some terrible things, right? Perhaps we think of like the Crusades, okay? Or in America, slavery, Jim Crow. I mean, people use the Bible to justify those things. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They were justifying cursing your mom and dad with the Bible. Like, yikes, that's scary. 
And it's scary enough to think that that's possible, right? The sin in our hearts, the sin in our hearts can lead us in that direction. That should give us pause. That should give us um, something to think about. Okay, so maybe it's easy for us in modern day to look back at those events and think, man, so glad I'm not in that day and age. Again, you miss, we miss the point. What about us, right? If it is possible for the leaders of the day and the church to use Scripture to justify terrible things in the past, it is certainly the case today. So we need to hold our views and our thoughts and opinions everything in our hearts, under the authority of Scripture. How, how, so how can we make that happen, to, to kind of make it apply to us, right? When we read Scripture, are we challenged? Does it challenge us, or does it just tell us everything we think we already know? When we listen to the preaching of God's Word, or to good podcasts, right? Or we have our quiet time. Are we challenged? Because we should be challenged, right? Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the teachers of the law with a hard teaching. If we think that we're good to go because we live in the modern day and we, we have the gospel in our hearts, right? We think we're good to go. We can fall into the same thing. Scripture doesn't just justify what we think. It should challenge us. When we read the Bible, right, do we just hear what we expect Jesus to hear? Or do we actually listen to what he's saying? We should always be challenged by Scripture. Okay, the next section. True uncleanliness. What causes us to be unclean? So in verse 14 it says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said. Now this is interesting a little bit, right? He's not actually replying to the Pharisees. He is talking to the crowd. Perhaps this is an example of like, don't cast your pearls before swine, right? He knew why the Pharisees were actually asking that question. But he does want to talk about this idea of true uncleanliness. And so then he teaches. He says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Jesus is saying that true uncleanliness comes from the heart. It's not a matter of washing hands, doing this or that. It's from the heart. It's actually much worse than the Pharisees thought right? It's not a matter of eating things wrong. No, it's much worse than that. It goes deep within us. The origin, like of all the sin and wickedness in the world, the origin is in our own hearts. Uncleanliness isn't out there. It's in here. James is really helpful on this idea. He describes the progression of sin in our hearts. In James 1, 14 through 17, it says, But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. 
It all starts right here. Now, this may seem obvious to us. We have the whole New Testament to help understand this. We have the, like, we have the gospel. Like, this makes sense. But we could easily miss some of the depth of what Jesus is saying here. So let's dive a little bit into the day and age that this was said, right? And let's take a couple of literary cues from Mark. Jesus says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Now, the book of Mark, right, they didn't have bold or underline or highlight or red font or highlights. So he uses literary uh, methods to underscore what he's saying. Jesus says, and Jesus says the same thing. He says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. So he repeats himself. Ah, something he's about to say is pretty important. And then Mark, in the text, if you look at it, Mark actually repeats what Jesus says twice. He says it to the crowd, and then he goes inside, and the disciples ask him, hey, what does this mean? And then Jesus says almost the exact same thing. Okay, so that's another literary device. This is pretty important. Um, if you notice in your Bibles, verse 16, read verse 16. It's not there. It's not in many of your, many of your Bibles. Verse 16 is missing. Why is that? Well, in the earliest texts that we have, like the papyrus that we have of Mark, um, verse 16 isn't in some of those. It appears later, so maybe someone changed it later on, but we know better. Um, some of the more reliable texts don't have verse 16. If it was there, it would say this. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is another literary tool that Mark could be using to key in on what we're saying. Maybe Jesus actually said that. We don't know. But it's not in the earliest text. And that's okay, right? All I'm saying is what Jesus is teaching here is very important. That's that's, what, that's the lesson. Okay. Don't you see that nothing outside a person can defile them? And then Mark includes a commentative note. There's a parenthesis, right? In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. This is a big deal. Do you know why? Because we can now eat bacon. <laughs> um, that's, I'm actually serious, um, but there's, there's more depth. We'll get into that, right? So Jesus declared all foods clean. His disciples didn't even get this, right? Like, they asked the question, what do you mean? And Jesus says, are you so dull? At least in NIV it says, are you so dull? Man, okay, think back to the visceral reaction we had earlier about... Uh, Mopani worms, right? These like gross, big, fat, juicy worms that some people eat. And we're like, ugh, detestable. Think about my neighbor's response to the fact that I eat pork, right? Detestable. That's their world. They have never eaten pork. It is gross. It is disgusting. There's religious, cultural, and probably taste tones of that. Gross. And now, Jesus, you're saying... All foods are clean, or like nothing outside a person can make them unclean. There's a tension there. Like, feel that tension. Feel the tension. If someone were to come along and say, you can pluck a leg off of a tarantula and eat it, it's completely safe. 
No, gross. I would never do that. Okay, that tension highlights something. We need to ask the question that the disciples are probably thinking to themselves. How can Jesus say that nothing outside a person can make them unclean? Like, really? Doesn't the law say that if you... I mean, it gives a lot of examples. The law says if you touch something that's unclean, you're unclean. Like, it says that. So, Jesus, what do you mean? This is a good question. This is a good question. There are two reasons why Jesus can say this. Okay? He's saying uh, there's two reasons. First, uncleanliness has always actually been about the heart. Okay? If we, let's go to Leviticus briefly. There's a lot of examples in Leviticus that say, do this, don't do this, don't be unclean. If you become clean, do this to become clean. So I, here's the tension. I'm feeling it as I'm preparing for this sermon. What's going on here? I was struck by Leviticus 16 and this idea of the Day of Atonement. I don't have time to get into all of it, but this Day of Atonement. And there's these verses that say, in the Day of Atonement. So the Day of Atonement was when the priest actually got to go into the Holy of Holies. And there were sacrifices to prepare for that. And there was this goat. And the priest would put his hands on the goat. And he would confess all the sins of Israel. And then they'd let the goat go into the, into the wilderness. And it was called the scapegoat. Like that's a phrase we have in our culture. Scapegoat. All the uncleanliness of Israel. On that goat, they let him go. There's these verses in Leviticus 16. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever their sins have been, he's to do the same thing for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. Leviticus 16 just assumes that the Israelites are unclean. Right? So there's all these commands, be clean, be clean, be clean. If you do this, uh, here's how to fix that. But you know what? Even after doing all that, you're still unclean. You're still utterly rebellious. The purpose of the law was to reveal that their hearts were unclean. Romans 7 helps us interpret the law, right? Romans 7. This is that chapter that says, I do not do what I want to do, and what I want, I, what I want to do, I do not do. It's kind of confusing, right? There's some verses that help us interpret the law. It says um, in verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would have not have known what sin was, except through the law. Romans 7.13, But in order that sin might be recognized as sin. And it goes through this like inner turmoil that the believer may have with their sin, with respect to the law. And in verse uh, 24 and 25, it ends with this, this statement of what a wretched man I have. Or, what a wretched man I am. That's a correct response to the law. Right? The law reveals our sin. And it says, it continues, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That is a good question. That is what the Israelites should have asked all along. Which brings us to our second point, right? So the first point is 
How can Jesus say, nothing outside a person can make them unclean? Well, he's getting to the deeper issue. Uncleanliness is a heart thing. The second reason is that Jesus is the Lord who makes you holy. What do I mean by that? Also in Leviticus, right? So when I'm preparing for this sermon, and I'm feeling this tension, when I think of Leviticus, I think of this phrase, therefore be holy because I am holy. Maybe you think of that too, right? Leviticus teaches us the holiness of God, and that is absolutely true. And that verse that I just quoted is in Leviticus. Okay? But actually, there's a more repeated phrase that really struck me when I was preparing. This phrase, I am the Lord who makes you holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. He says, do all these things. Why? I am the Lord who makes you holy. Which makes us think of that Romans 7 declaration. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Jesus. Jesus is the answer, right? A correct understanding of the law sees God as the one who makes you holy. Not the law. Not the rules. Not the extra rules. Not the washing of the hands. No, it is God who makes you holy. Guess who Jesus is? Right? He is that Lord. He is that Lord who makes you holy. So how can Jesus say, nothing outside of you can make you unclean? Because he is the Lord who makes anything holy. And so in that moment, he says, all food is clean. That's what, um, that's what it says, right? That's cool. Galatians makes this exact same assertion. Man, if we could read the whole book of Galatians, it would really help us. Um, but Galatians 3.19, what then is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. It said it, it was put in place until the promised one comes, which is Jesus. Another uh, verse, verse 24 of uh, chapter 3. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The Pharisees had missed it. They added all these rules and their tradition. They thought that they could do it. That's the wrong conclusion to draw from the law. The conclusion we should draw is we are unholy. God is in the midst of us in our uncleanliness. I need someone to clean me. Jesus. Okay, so where's the good news in, in this uh, chapter of Mark? Um, Jesus' pronunciation of all foods being clean is actually a much bigger deal than bacon, um, which that's a big deal, um, because it is Jesus who makes us holy, right? Here's an interesting thing to think about. Mark's gospel is based on the testimony of Peter, right? Peter. In Matthew's account of this exact same story, we, we learn that it's actually Peter who asks Jesus, hey, what do you mean by that? Hey, what do you mean by all food, uh, nothing outside a person can make you clean? 
If we fast forward to Acts 10, right, God gives a vision to Peter. And this vision, he's sitting up on a roof, he's hungry, there's this vision of this sheet coming down with all sorts of unclean animals. And God says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter still hadn't gotten really what Jesus was saying back here in Mark, because here's his response. He says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And God's response is, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Why did God say that? Well, one, Jesus had already, as the one who makes you clean, declared nothing outside a person can make you unclean. And in doing so, declared all food clean. Jesus had already done that. Right? Peter hadn't learned it yet, but he records that in his book, Mark. This, then, is the springboard to a, a greater picture. Right? God uses this picture of clean and unclean food to show the church that the good news of Jesus Christ is also for the Gentiles. Right? Food. He's using food to say, do not call anything impure or unclean that God has made clean. So Peter has this vision. Time goes on, and there's, this, there's these people that come up to him, and they're like, hey, we're from Cornelius, who is a Gentile. He wants you to come. And Peter goes. And it's, according to their law, Jews and Gentiles were not supposed to fellowship together in the same house. But he goes anyways. And he later realized, and he later proclaims, like, I now realize that the good news is for the Gentiles too. That whole storyline, which is a whole other sermon series, um, starts here with Jesus saying, nothing outside a person can make you unclean. He has the authority to do that for food. He has the authority to do that for our human hearts, Right? Hebrews 9, 14 through 15 is a great uh, verse that also helps us understand this. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those that are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Jesus, uh, or the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus proclaims that nothing outside of you can make you unclean. It's rather a heart issue because he took upon himself all of our filth, all of our wickedness. He was unblemished. He took it all upon himself and his blood was shed for us. And that blood makes us clean. Our problem of uncleanliness is much worse than we could imagine. It's much worse than outward appearances. It's a heart problem. God can make that clean through the blood of Jesus. So, what is the lesson for us? Sin is incredibly deceptive. It can deceive us into thinking that... Um, out there, like sin's out there, right? Um, I'm thinking about some examples, like kids, right? We can think of some obvious examples with kids. Johnny's playing, Bobby steals his toy, Johnny hits Bobby, 
hey, Johnny, why'd you hit Bobby? Well, Bobby stole my toy. Right? He's saying, sin's out there. Sin's out there. He caused me to sin. No, we can easily say, see, we're, we're parents, we're, we're adults, we can easily see, no, you made the decision to hit Bobby. That's a silly example. But not so silly, right? Genesis 3. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. God asks, did you eat the fruit? And what's Eve's response? Or, or Adam's response? This woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then, hey Eve, this serpent deceived me. No, it is a heart problem. You decided to disobey God. The sin is within you. So that kid example isn't so silly. It's what Adam and Eve did. Think about it for us. Wives and husbands, right? We can probably think of some examples where we're really frustrated with our spouse. Man, if only she would, if only he would listen. Or if only, uh, no, the sin is within your heart, right? Your own sin. Or circumstances, right? Circumstances don't cause us to sin. We can wish that, man, I wish I had a better job. I wouldn't be so stressed about money or anxious. I wish that uh, my health was this way so that I wouldn't be so uh, aggravated all the time. Um, there's a lot of examples that can bleed into the church, but we need to remember, no, sin is a, a heart problem, right? It's not out there. It's here. Parenting. This is another one that I thought of. I'm entering the world into parenting. I've got one year under my belt, so I'm very experienced. Um, the greatest... Okay, so I can say this because we've been going through the book from Paul David Tripp on parenting. And this is basically his point too, right? <clears throat> the greatest danger to our kids is not out there, right? It's not like the school that they do or do not go to. It's not like exposure to evil or bad friends. Now, there's some wise things we can do probably with those topics. But the greatest threat to them is not any of those things. It is the sin in their hearts, and then their salvation, right? Their salvation is not found in like perfect parenting or in like great obedience to these rules or protection from evil. No, Jesus alone can save them. Our job is to lead them to Jesus. Okay, so a correct application, I'm summarizing now. A correct application of the law and a correct understanding of the sin in our hearts is that we are unclean. We are detestable. We will have worms grow out of us. Gross. Like we are that disgusting. But God can make us clean. We should have that same... Um, actually, there's this great example in Mark 1 where there's a leper, right? Right? He's someone who understands uncleanliness. He's been ostracized from society. He's got boils all over him. He is unclean. It's very obvious. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, what, what does he do? Filled with compassion, reaches out, 
with his hand and touches him, which is crazy. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. That's the response we should have. We are unclean. God, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He is willing. Let's pray. God, as we have already done um, at the beginning of this service, we confess that we are wicked. Out of, out of our hearts comes the evil that we see in the world and our lives, every bit of it. We are to blame. We are unclean. God, if you are willing, you can make us clean by the blood of Jesus. And God, we know that you are willing. You are more than willing. You have all authority to do that. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.